0: This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright.
1: Hi, everyone. This is Bishop Rob Wright, and this is Four People, a podcast about God's spirituality and leadership. Our guest today is the 83rd governor of the state of Georgia, Governor Brian Kemp. Governor Kemp, welcome.
0: Hey, good to be on with you, Bishop. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, For those who don't know, a little bit about Governor Kemp. He is formerly the Secretary of State of Georgia. He was born in Athens, Georgia, and went to the University of Georgia. He is married to Marty, and they have three children. Uh, For some who don't know, he's an Episcopalian. He and his family attend Emmanuel Episcopal Church in Athens, Georgia. Governor Kemp, how would you say that your Christian faith influences your work as a public servant?
0: Well, listen. I tell you, I'm praying. Uh, you know, a lot of people pray for me every day, Bishop, and they tell me that. They send me notes. They call me, and uh, I know you've told me that as well, as well certainly. as Father Robert and a lot of other people. But you know, when you're governor, I've, I've started praying for myself a lot, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's it's very important. Um, you know, these are these. This is really a a hard job, and in, in a normal circumstance, certainly in a year where you have pandemics and a lot of other things that we've had happen, I've certainly relied on my faith and asked God for really just wisdom and direction and strength. And I I prayed that as well for my family um, as we've gone through a lot of the things that we've had. And it certainly helps keep me grounded and and just rely on my faith to make good decisions uh, that would honor the people I'm representing, but as well as the good Lord.
1: Well, that's right. You know, one of, the, one of my prayers get, get real short, and uh, that one of them is help, right? Uh, help me, I need some wisdom. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to know that you're relying uh, on prayer for that. Uh, you've been the governor now for two years. Uh, what's working well in Georgia, from your view, and what keeps you up at night?
0: Yeah, I kid people all the time. I tell them I've been, really been serving about 14 years because uh, in the middle of a pandemic, it's like dog years, you know, every Absolutely. year counts for seven But you know, it's it's really been, you know, the biggest thing that's kept me up and thankfully we're getting on the backside of this has obviously been our fight against COVID nineteen, but also the fight not only protect lives in regards to COVID nineteen, but also livelihoods. And that's been a a really delicate balance that I think our state has probably done as good as anybody in the country at fighting the virus and making sure that we're getting the vaccine out and you know, going through the whole stages of everything that we went through last year, but also recognizing and, you know, I'm very grateful for Dr. Toomey's leadership and and having this same belief that, you know, mental health issues, economic issues, and a lot of other things that families go through when they are having a hard time economically, in some cases can be just as drastic as a virus. And we've really balanced both of those things. But there have You know, there have been some very long nights in regards to that. I will tell you the other thing that has kept me up at times, not the whole year like COVID has, but a lot of the civil unrest that we've seen, especially over the summer, uh, with several instances that we've had to deal with, and not all of them were here in Georgia, but certainly had influences here in regards to the George Floyd issue or Aubrey and other things. And then really just kind of what we're preparing for now with the trial going on and, you know, some other things that we've seen in recent days, just making sure that, you know, we have conversations with people to let their voices be heard, but also do that in, a, in the Georgia way um, by not getting violent and, and speaking their mind. And we're continuing to talk to a lot of people about that and a lot of our partners um, in local governments and law enforcement, but also, Uh, In other communities that that have a voice here,
1: yeah, you you've you've passed five bills addressing uh, sexual trafficking, and I know your wife Marty uh, has a big voice in all of that. You've you've passed a hate crimes bill, and you've repealed citizens' arrest. Uh, Where do we go from here? That that someone will argue that that's sort of a trajectory. Where are we going? Are we going towards anti discrimination law? What's what's on your mind? What do you think?
0: Well, listen, the state, Georgia, if you really sit back and look, I mean, we've been a leader around the country. We're probably a little late to the game on the uh, anti-hate crimes legislation, but we got that done last year and really used that to be the first state in the country to repeal the citizen's arrest statute.
1: Yeah,
0: historical perspective, I mean, that is a Civil War era statute that we were able to repeal almost a unanimous vote in the General Assembly and support from a lot of different people, including law enforcement prosecutors and others. Uh, I think it really just speaks to the culture of who we are and our value of life in the state. And I, I've certainly, you know, taken some strong positions on that, um, obviously with the heartbeat legislation, which, you know, controversial for some, but also, you know, we've done, we, we've worked hard to protect life in a lot of other ways, whether it's adoption reform, foster care reform, we passed a tax credit this year to make it easier for people to adopt foster children we've cut out the red tape for adoption Uh, marty has led the country i mean she has done more than any other state in the country and we have uh, to end human trafficking but also to support the victims uh, expunging records to give them opportunities in the future but also going after the perpetrators and allowing the victims to do that civilly now uh, so we, we have a great track record. And I think, you know, we got to continue to see, you know, what would be next for us. Uh, but we've taken some pretty significant steps building off of really Governor Deal's legacy on criminal justice reform.
1: Yes. Yes. I, I hope that I hope that, uh, you know, uh, there's one piece left to do where we can join some of these other states who are now uh, you know abolishing the death penalty. Any Anything like that on the horizon? I sure hope there is.
0: Well, I know you and I have talked about that before. There's uh, strong feelings on both sides of that issue. Obviously, that's something that the legislature uh, would have uh, a lot of serious debate on. I haven't really heard a whole lot of talk about that. We'll certainly keep that on the radar. And I know that you have been one to continue to do that as well. We will be right
1: back with more For People but we wanted to remind and encourage people to listen to episode 48 released on March 31st with State Senator The Rev. Kim Jackson, one in which Bishop Wright asked the same questions to a senator on the other side of the aisle. For all updates, follow Bishop Wright on Instagram and Facebook. Now, back to four people. You you, uh, you you recently signed into law SB 202, also known as the Elections Integrity Act of 2021, and I know you've been on the news, various news platforms, talking about this. Help us understand why did we need these changes, especially since Secretary Raffesberger had our votes counted three times in the last election and stated we never found systemic fraud. What, what can you say to reassure people that we needed these changes and this is not some sort of backlash uh, to the outcomes in the last election?
0: Well, look, there's a lot of political narratives out there that you know this is absolutely you know, because you know, people are, you know, the legislature was doing this because of fraud and other things. But if you really look at what happened during the General Assembly and the issues that ended up being passed in the final bill, Now, there was 50-something bills out there, and that's something that, you know, in the General Assembly, any legislator can introduce anything they want, but it doesn't mean they're going to get it passed. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons behind that. People differ politically on that. But when you look at actually what got passed, what got signed into law, and really the basis that the legislators had uh, behind doing those things, they were issues that we did have problems with during the election. And I'm not necessarily saying that was fraud. I'm just saying, you know, there were issues with the signature match process. We had a 351% increase in the number of absentee ballots by mail. The system, in my opinion, was not designed to handle that. You know, it worked fine when you had 5 to, to 10% of the vote absentee by mail like we do in a normal year. But we had, I think, 35 to 40%. So it took an arbitrary process, made it more arbitrary, also lengthened it. It's not very efficient. And in talking with local elections officials, I really felt like, and and there was also security issues there and people had concerns that that this wasn't, was being done arbitrarily and not, you know, in a more thorough way. And the way to fix that problem was to do the voter ID requirement like we have for in-person voting and we've had since the mid-2000s. And in talking with those elections officials at They told me as well, it would make it more efficient and easier for them at the local level and speed up the counting process. The other issue is the ballot drop boxes. You know, there's been a lot of misinformation that this legislation is limiting or taking away or or what have you. Well, ballot drop boxes never existed in the law. That was only done through an emergency order because of the public health state of emergency um, that the state election board did. So if there hadn't have been a bill this year, drop boxes would have gone away completely. What the legislature did is went in and put procedures in that were consistent across all counties to mandate every county have a drop box. Uh, also, to put a formula in place as to how many they could have. Um, and actually, there was a bunch of counties last election that didn't even have one. The other thing that people don't realize that the bill does, it allows a voter to simply take their uh, ballot and go take it to a local elections office or a precinct and hand that ballot off. And obviously every Georgian or at least almost every one of them has a ballot drop box at the end of their driveway where they can mail that ballot back. The other thing was dealing with, um, you know, the, um, securing, well, we had the additional days that we added, you know, there's a lot of information that, that, You know this was restrictive, and actually, it adds uh, the opportunity for people to vote, especially on the weekends and the early voting period. We now have two mandatory Saturdays instead of one, and county can opt in to doing Sunday voting on either one or two uh, Sundays. So we're actually adding opportunities for people uh, to vote in the in the upcoming elections uh, since this bill's been signed. And there's you know a lot of other things I can answer questions about if you have them
1: yeah specifically no no i i appreciate that you know it's 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 a hard climate nowadays to try to get you know what's true you know there's 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 spin on both sides uh both the red and the blue are responsible for the division that we we are experiencing and so a lot of people just sort of want to get a sense of what what is really true we had kim jackson state senator kim jackson on and she talked a, bl- a little bit about this as well. And we were surprised, a number of us were surprised, that she didn't sort of, you know, grab the mic and just have, have her hair on fire about this, but reasoned her way through the bill, talked about some of the advantages, and she shared some of her concerns. And so is this just political spin that's happening out here that's got people uh, nervous and is causing these, uh, you know, baseball games and now movies to, to take their business elsewhere? Is this, is this all spin?
0: Well, look, I mean, people have different agendas out there. Unfortunately, uh, just to be perfectly honest with you, and this is certainly my opinion, and you know there may be others that have different ones, but there are activists that planned weeks before I ever signed the bill to label this as a Jim Crow law, which it absolutely is not. And that's why I've come out so forcefully to tell people just what the truth is about what's in the bill. You know, some of the things that were done on uh, absentee ballot request deadlines was at, was asked to be done by the Association of County Commissioners of Georgia. They represent the local elections officials and county governments. There was other Democratic proposals that ended up being uh, part of the legislation, or at least, the you know, the idea of things that they were doing was part of this uh, legislation. And certainly, you know, people are going to disagree with certain things. But look, this is in no way taking us backwards. I believe it's further securing the election, but also making it uh, as accessible as ever and more accessible in some ways. And a lot of the things that have been put out there really have been a false narrative, which is very unfortunate because that has created the environment where you have a lot of political pressure by these activist groups being put on Georgia-based corporations. And to be perfectly honest with you, I think many of them Um, spoke out not knowing what was in the bill. And I think some of the folks on the other side of this from my position really were surprised that the bill ended up like it was. I think they thought it was going to be something that it ended up not being, yet the playbook was already designed and they're moving forward with it anyway. And that's unfortunate for the public. But that's why I've done things like this. I've done African-American radio. I've done hip-hop podcasts. I've been on business networks, political networks, and others to tell people just the truth, because I know in my heart and in my mind, the truth is on my side here.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. And that's why we wanted to create this forum. We wanted to give give you a, a chance to talk about this thing, you know, in detail and see if we can't cut through, through some of the spin And I hope you'll be doing more, and I hope your group, your uh, your team, will be doing more education around this because you know these things get amplified. I know a whole lot about that in the church. Things people get really emotional, and sometimes that emotion leads them away from the truth of what is actually transpiring. Uh, Let me just say one last question for you. Uh, We know you've got to go. Uh, You know, I told you some some months ago that when I felt like my job was really hard. I looked at your Twitter feed and I looked at the comments on your Twitter feed and then all of a sudden I didn't feel so bad. So how how is it that you're holding steady in all this withering criticism? We 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 read the newspapers, we see criticism on the left and we see criticism of you on the right. So how are you holding steady in all this?
0: Well, for one thing I have a, you know, great faith and I get strength through that. But I'm also a very principled person. But I'm I'm not angry about that. Unfortunately, a lot of people that are commenting on Twitter and social media are very angry. And I, I tell my kids and my wife too not to read those comments. It's uh, you know it's a sad state in our country and in our state when you could post a Easter message about the resurrection and new life that us as Christians are experiencing, and, and people are trolling you on social media even on, on Easter or Christmas. But, you know, that's part of the political environment that we're in. It's unfortunate. Um, but, you know, that's what leaders like myself signed up for. And, you know, I, I don't go to work every day worrying about that. I go to work every day at serving all Georgians, even those that didn't vote for me.
1: Yeah. Well, Governor Kemp, one of the things I'm most proud about in our Episcopal church, the church that you and I share, is is that no matter who's elected, no matter who's in office, we pray for the president and we pray for the governor. We pray for people who hold the public trust. So be assured that you remain in our prayers. And as I told you on the prayer meeting before your inauguration, When you do justice and help us to love neighbor and to get that written into law, I'll be the first person to praise you. And when we have to have other kinds of conversations, I'm glad that you've been open for those kinds of conversations. So just know you go from this podcast with our blessing uh, and with our support and uh, also with a pledge that we'll uh, we'll be right there with you and be whispering in your ear as things go along.
0: Sounds good. Thanks so much. God bless you.
1: God bless you, Governor.